I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Daldon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm one of your usual hosts, Mike Miller, and tonight I am joined once again by Mr. Nick Whitfield. What's up, Mike? Hello to everyone. Nice to have Joe Holbert on. Well, okay, spoil my introduction for him, but that's fine. Okay, um, without further ado, in episode 360, so it's poetic of some sort that we're coming almost full circle, we're bringing back a DC legend for this one, a man who's appeared in 103 Double Clutch podcasts to date. It is the man, the myth, the legend that is, Mr. Joe Holbert. Hey, Joe, welcome back. Thank you, it's an honour to be back. Double Clutch, obviously, my first ever uh, writing gig, first ever podcasting gig. I learned a lot from you guys, and... You know, it's a great outlet, great fun, and pleased. I'm pleased to see you know what we've all built together over the years. I mean, it's it's great. Like like I say, three sixty episode three sixty. We're coming full circle. You were on the pod, my first ever podcast. So that was back in twenty January twenty sixteen, I think, and we talked about Demar Rosen. So obviously, times were hard. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's we've got lots and lots and lots of things to talk about um thanks to joe to coming back on um let's just quickly do some housekeeping if you're not already uh please make sure you're following us at double clutch uk on facebook twitter instagram um i think that's all of them isn't it uh we have a discord community discord.me forward slash double clutch and if you're listening back to this come join us live we're on twitch twitch.tv forward slash double clutch uk thanks as ever to captain kirk behind the the uh the magic curtain making this all happen and making us look pretty um it's been a busy week in the NBA. We had a monster, monster, monster trace. That's probably the best place to start. John Wall for Russell Westbrook. Um, it, this is an interesting one, to say the least. Um, Houston trades Westbrook after one season there to the Wizards, uh, who have had John Wall for a decade, who hasn't played in about two seasons, and a 2021 protected first-round pick that's fairly heavily protected, actually. It's probably not even worth anything. Um we're going to get straight in with the listener question, in fact, from Rich Barrett. Who upgraded, Houston or Washington? Is there really a winner to this one? Nick, I'll come to you first. So this is a really interesting trade where, on the surface, these players are quite similar in terms of they're most effective with the ball in their hands. Uh, John Wall is a slightly more effective spot-up shooter by the numbers, but he's a spotty uh, mid-range shooter off um, as the ball handler in a, in a pick and roll. The tough thing is obviously we haven't seen him play really for two years. So it's a uh, coming off an Achilles injury over 30. It's a little bit of uncertainty there. Uh, it seems to have halted the James Harden asking for a trade talk for the very short term. So it seems like at least James Harden is satisfied with um, the acquisition of Wall, which may be the biggest win if it means James Harden stays in town. For the Wizards, I think... Um, Russell Westbrook is going to be incredibly productive right away. And the biggest thing I took away from this move, you talked about the pick that will probably be worthless. And what we've seen is a former league MVP be traded for a guy who hasn't played in two years. And I don't say that to disrespect John Wall. He's a fantastic player when we last saw him, but it really shows how far Westbrook's stock has fallen that that was the, that was the transaction in the end. You've just basically read through all the bullet points I had ready for this. Um, 
Joe, uh, is, is there a winner of this trade? Uh, yeah, I think the Wizards win, to be honest. I think, you know, a lot of the issues with Westbrook, for me, were down to the Rockets scheme, where it's just all five owls standing still, unless Jeff Green was on the, f- on the floor, because then when you've got Jeff Green, they do a little bit more with the handoffs and, you know, um, the side pick and rolls, etc. But I think... I think alongside Beal and Bertans, it's a better fit than alongside Harden and uh, Tucker, in my opinion, just in the way that I think Westbrook can get that pick and roll game going again with whoever, whether it will be Rolo or um, Thomas Bryant, but they've got Bertans to space the floor as well. And I think, I just think there's a good on-ball, off-ball balance between Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. I think that's, for me, the key. Because when James Harden's doing his isolation, most isolation possessions in the league, I believe, and it was double, I think it's about double more than next the next guy, which was Luka Doncic. So obviously when someone's isolating, there's not much you can do as a guard or a wing other than stand still. Well, Russell Westbrook is not valuable standing still because he's not a great shooter. But I think with the way that they use Beal on sort of handoffs and out of floppy and stuff like that, I think... Westbrook can have more value as a cutter. And I think for the way Scott Brooks coaches offense, which is quite old school, I think Westbrook is a good, is a much better mesh with that than he was in the Murray ball offense. Is there not an issue though, where with, with Westbrook in Houston, he struggled to start with initially and he only really exploded where he suddenly was scoring. I think he had uh, the third highest uh, points in the paint field goal percentage but that was all basically down to post Capella, got no bigs, got got room to move. If he's now back playing with Rolo and Brian, are we going to see a dampened down effectness, effectiveness of, of Westbrook off ball? I think the two keys to that not happening are Beal and Batans because Batans' shooting numbers for a big are ludicrous. Um, for a guy that size, certainly one that the Spurs shouldn't have let get away. They've had a couple of them in recent years. He might be the biggest because... The best word I can use to describe it is just a flamethrower. And the, the stuff they run for him, it's like it, they will, he will literally just move to the to the perimeter and they'll find him and he'll shoot. There's no creative actions because they don't need it because he can just shoot from anywhere. So I think Bertans will help space the floor a bit. I think the key is that they, in the pick and roll, they need to make it so... If all the help defenders are occupied, I think Westbrook will be okay. The reason they actually traded Capella was to accommodate Russ. But I just mm-hmm. I, I just think there's enough perimeter shooting on this Wizards team to, to sort of make sure that Westbrook isn't just running into coldest stats. I still think he's obviously got some explosiveness. He did have a, I want to say like a six-week stretch where he actually did carry the Rockets. It was a period where James Harden was really not playing well. He, he blew himself out of the MVP race. So I think there's still a, a good player in there, probably a top 30 player. And I think for the Wizards, you know, getting him... It, the Wizards are going to be that team that I think they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be the team that no one wants in there because we've seen them before. They're probably actually going to be similar to what they were when they had Wall, Beal, Porter and Marcin Gortat, where they're kind of like a 45 to 48 win team, probably pushing seven in the first round, maybe getting to the second round. But I think, you know, other than that, the Westbrook trade is mainly, it's, it's given them a high floor. I don't know what the ceiling is, but I think for the Wizards, Ted Leonsis, he doesn't want to tank. He doesn't want to rebuild. He just wants to win. And I think for that objective, um, it, it makes it made sense to acquire him. 
So let's go to Nick then. Are we are we ready to write off John Wall? No. Um, ju- I'm just going to talk about the Wizards uh, to kind of follow up on some of the things Joe was saying, which I completely agree with. And one of the things I'm really excited to watch about Westbrook is something they didn't have in Houston just because of the, the way they played. In Washington, there'll be loads of possessions where the main action is Bradley Beal off the ball in terms of coming off picks and running round um the baseline and Westbrook will not only get easy assists that way finding Beal there but also the defense's attention is taken away and Westbrook is still smart and explosive enough to kind of exploit those possessions and be make them really tough to guard so uh yeah that, that's my thought on the Wizards I think with John Wall I think we're all guessing at this point what he's going to look like we could we I mean I hope for the best um but also, it's also we're, we're we're guessing not only on Wall's health, but on what the Rockets look like with D'Antoni and Maury gone. It's we don't really know what a Rockets offense is going to look like. Even how much if if John Wall is pushed off the ball predominantly, it's a complete waste of his abilities. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, I think we're we're guessing on two things there. So it's pretty impossible to have a kind of educated guess as to what that's going to look like. So do you think then, I mean, with so many uncertainties, what what are we talking about? Like 75% effectiveness of, of wall? Uh, you know, obviously it's, it's still finger in the air. What what are we looking at for this to have not been a massive, uh, you know, not a James Harden reference, but a massive step back for the Rockets? Because you, you said at the top, this move keep keeps him happy, at least, or potentially keeps him happy for a little bit. Well, the other way of looking at it is it's a last gamble from Houston to keep James Harden in town because if James Harden leaves, I'm predicting they could just go full rebuild at that point, get rid of everyone with any experience and John Wall is kind of sitting there as he was going to in Washington anyway if he wasn't healthy um, while they acquire lottery assets. So it's a last roll of the dice that may or may not lead to a big rebuild. Okay. And at is, that is, point, is that... obviously, the idea is if John Wall is 60, 70% of what he was and the Rockets aren't going to be very good, then they lean into that and actually try and benefit from being not very good. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, how do you see Wall and I'll come to Joe again. How do you see Wall and Harden fitting together? It's an awkward fit. Nick mentioned at the start that Wall is a sl- sort of slightly marginally better spot shooter. I think that counts for something. Um, it's really difficult because with Murray and well, I'm not going to say with Dan Tony gone because Dan Tony's an offensive wizard, and I don't think the ISO offense was him personally. I mean, I just don't see how a guy would go from running what he did in Phoenix and New York to to whatever you know, whatever anyone thinks of what they ran last year. So it'll be interesting to see how Stephen Silas does. I would expect just a gut instinct that the isolation possessions will come down uh, for Harden. So the problem is as well, Wall isn't just not a great off-ball player. He's an unwilling off-ball player. So I've got a stat here from my good friend Jackson Frank, who writes for the Athletic. And in the last 151 games, John Wall cut nine times in 151 games. So this is a guy who is he's not just not a, an off-ball player. He's truly not willing. Now, was that Scott Brooks's offense? Because in Oklahoma City, we saw that Scott Brooks's offense was like your turn, my turn, his turn with the three ISO guys they have. But, you know, 
for Stephen Silas, he probably took this thinking this was like a contender's job, and it's it's actually a. I would argue he's got one of the toughest jobs this year because there's expectations, and two of the guys you're relying on to get you there are two players coming off really awful injuries, and John Wall and Demarcus Cousins. So I would expect them to try and run a little bit more of a motion offense, but if Wall truly just isn't a willing off-ball player, it's not gonna be pretty. But I think the floor is high because James Harden is just transcendent. You know, some of the teams he had with Kevin McHale when they had like uh, Josh Smith, they weren't good teams, but he carried them. I think he can do that again. But it depends. Like this thing, if Wall still has some explosiveness, they could be a top five offense, in my opinion, because they've got Christian Wood, who I actually think helps Wall a lot because he's a very smooth role man. He's going to give him space. He's legitimately a very good interior spacer and role man, and he's got a bit of a perimeter game as well. But the thing about the Rockets is they're really hard to predict because, as you said earlier, there's so many unknowns with this team. We don't know what version of DeMarcus Cousins is going to come back. You know, I don't imagine he's going to be putting up 26 and 15 like he did in Sacramento, but if he can be putting up, you know, 19 and 10 or 11, you know, that's a... That's a big difference maker. So we just don't know what we're going to see from this team. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think that's fair. I'm just trying to. I mean, when we used to talk on the, the when you, when you were on the podcast, we used to talk about you know how much Wall relied on his athleticism, and and Nick's right. This is Achilles injury. I spoke ad nauseum last week about the impact an Achilles injury has on players and athleticism when we were talking about KD. Um, so let's let's sort of move over to to the Harden side of it because this is this is if this is a last ditch gamble to keep him, I'm not really convinced it's going to pay off. Uh, he, he Harden obviously has already asked for a trade. Um, whether that's related to on court situations or whether it's related to the ownership, it's not clear yet. Uh, but he was due to be back in Houston for for the opening of team camp and he wasn't he was at some rapper I don't know some like little baby or something is no idea who that guy is uh he was at some rapper's birthday party not he was he was sort of abandoning covid protocols uh he was supposed to turn up for an individual practice last night and didn't is is the writing on the wall for Harden that was an excellent pun that I made unintentionally as well. Um, but is Harden likely going to be there? You know, a, f- a few weeks into the season, we had, we had a uh, listener question from Ginger Shack who wants to get our thoughts on the situation with Harden. Personally, I, I don't know how it can continue this way with him shirking the team. I, I think something that's underrated in the Rockets is how bad their owner is. You know, because the teacher's mm-hmm. unwilling to pay the luxury tax, but. His businesses, I mean, a lot of businesses took a hit with the pandemic, but his especially did because it's hotels and casinos. People aren't staying in hotels during the pandemic. So I think that's an underrated part of this. And also he does have allegiances to Donald Trump as well. And I can't imagine with the year we've had that an African-American player would not have issues with that. So I think with Fatita, like that, that for me is the key thing that will drive hard in a way. I agree that the writing's on the wall because... Fatita wants to run this team on the cheap. I mean, I I predicted they would hire Kenny Atkinson in the summer because he's a great development coach. Before the Nets got Kyrie and KD, he was developing guys, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Garris Levert, all those guys. And I thought he'd just say, look, we need to run this team on the cheap for five years to get a dev coach in. Now, Stephen Silas, their new coach, has uh, he's a development guy as well. He was on the Mavericks staff. 
for a long time, and I believe his dad was a famous coach. Yeah, Paul cool. Silas. Yeah, I think they're related, but yeah, um, I, I just think like ownership is really underrated when people talk about it. it's not just basketball; it's all sports. And I think that Fatita has driven Harden away. I think with the wall thing, I think NBA players sometimes think in terms of stars. They don't. Jo- James Harden will look at John Wall, and he will see a, few, a former All Star and All NBA player. He won't look at a guy who's thirty coming off an Achilles injury. So I think it is the last Hail Mary. He's probably trying to, because like Wall, Harden and Cousins would have been a big three uh, three years ago. And that would have been a really good, that would have probably been a championship big three. Mm-hmm. But I think for Harden, like th- this is the final roll that dies. I don't think it's going to work. And I think Tillman Fatita is to blame because he is not a good owner. Um, and he's got some questionable practices shall we say and just the way he tries to run this team and i think yeah harden will be gone nick do you agree or do you see harden somehow miraculously hanging on in houston i think a lot and even if he moves uh really depends on something we haven't heard a lot about and that is what james harden wants um We've seen seen in the last few years what he's really capable of uh, when given the keys to an offense to essentially run everything himself on every single possession. And what's incredible is he can actually do it. uh, As Joe mentioned about the ceiling for a James Harden team with um, league average shooters around him is probably a playoff team still just by having one guy on your team. He's really at the top tier in that regard. But... What we've seen over and over again is that when it comes to playoff uh, time and teams can actually plan around him, how he plays um, to really kind of put pressure on him, we've seen it doesn't seem to work in the playoffs as well. So if he wants to win, he's probably going to have to leave just because if you look at we've the roster is essentially, I think, even if John Wall was really healthy, you're probably not getting more than you got from Westbrook last season, even in a absolute best case scenarios. And they didn't look particularly close last year. They had flashes where they went on a run because they were so unorthodox to play against in the regular season. But I'm just not sure uh, he's going to win in Houston as presently constructed. And with his age, if he's not going to win Houston, he's not going to win at all. So um, I think that may... If if he's really hungry about winning a title, it will lead to it will lead to him ultimately demanding a trade and leaving. I mean, hasn't he already asked for the trade? I thought that was what was a few weeks back. He he'd asked for a trade. You know, he's not ter- he's now not turned back up to practice. Um, and there was something else he did as well. He turned down the the max extension he was eligible for. <laughs> I, I read today though that he 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 kind of softened it and said he is reporting. John Wall came out and said Harden said to him he's excited to play with him and blah blah blah. So. As I say, in the very, very short term, and that could even be the next few weeks, it seems to have died down a little bit compared to what we heard originally, but we'll see. Okay, so we've had a a tongue-in-cheek listener question from our good friend Ross. I don't know if you guys had a chance to spot it. I don't even know if you guys are capable of commenting on it. I almost didn't throw it in, but... Why not? It's a Monday night. Uh, So, as gentlemen's clubs in the Houston era here, put my teeth in, as gentlemen's clubs in the Houston area are fearful of closing down, which other city is best placed to accommodate the lifestyle of James Harden? Either of you want to take a swing at this? And I'm I'm not making any assumptions of of the nightlife you've experienced in any of the 30 NBA cities or 29. 
I mean, based on what I hear, it's probably Miami. <laughs> I've heard, guys, that there is a city that never sleeps. <laughs> this is all true. This question actually set off alarm bells ringing in my head, and I don't know if any of you guys saw this, but a year ago on Reddit, this is where I'm going with this one, uh, Angry Centrist posted um, that he'd statistically analysed Harden's performances in every NBA city to see if there's a correlation between his his box score and the city's average strip club rating. But he actually Googled city name, strip club, and then looked at the Google reviews. And quite frankly, the results were, out, the results were outstanding. So he's proven to a stig- statistically significant degree that James Harden's game performance declines in cities with higher rated strip clubs. What's incredible is that the reviews he was looking at, James Harden wrote all of them. <laughs> it's mad so Harden's best performances come in the city with the city with the worst strip clubs which apparently is Toronto according to, to Google reviews uh, his his worst performances come in the city with the best strip clubs which is Miami which uh, who said Miami yeah. Joe said Miami so so we could get poor man's Harden if he goes there but for all the slander we've given Utah over the past however many seasons about Everything closes at 9pm. There's only a subway. According to Google reviews, Salt Lake City has the third ranked strip clubs of all NBA cities. That's mad. See, I was expecting if you went into one, it would actually just be John Stockton up there. (laughs) Well, those shorts are basically a thong anyway. Mm. Um, On that, we will move on uh, to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> la la land let's go to the lakers so uh lebron and ad have re-upped are we looking at a potential lakers dynasty for at least two more seasons is it is that really even a dynasty who knows uh joe what do you make of the the re-signings and, and what's your thoughts going into this season about the the reinvigorated lakers yeah i think they they improved with the signs they made their biggest weakness last year was what happened when AD and LeBron went on. Now, I'm not a massive Dennis Schroeder guy that's probably well-documented on this podcast, but for that role to play the third guy who basically just is going to spam pick and rolls when those two are on the bench, he's about as good as you can get, in my opinion, for just doing that role. They didn't give up a great deal either. So I like the Schroeder pickup, but for me, the big pickup is Wes Matthews. I think he's, obviously, as a Portland fan, he was great next to Dame um, when you had him there. He, I believe he had an Achilles injury, which set him back a little bit. But, you know, in terms of last year, like he, I believe he had that he was in the 99th percentile for the toughest matchups across the year. So he was who the Bucks stuck on, you know, the Trey Young, CJ McCollum's of the world, you know, the top scoring guards on the other team. Um, so I like that pickup. And I, I think actually people are sleeping on the Montrose Harrell pickup. Now, I was quite low on him in the playoffs. But part of the problem in the playoffs was that they weren't just putting him in a pick and roll. They were putting him in a pick and roll with Lou Williams, which is obviously a recipe for disaster. I think with the guards the Lakers have got, I think it's going to be harder to completely bully him because the Lakers guards are all relatively good defensively. And I think with the size they've got, they've got enough to cover him. And they've got, you know, a pretty special player in on the offensive end in Harrell, and they've got the right roster around him. So, for me, it's quite scary that the Lakers actually got better because they never for one second looked like losing in that postseason. You know, they controlled pretty much every game I saw them in. Um, you know, just dominant. It's, it's the size of... It's, it's AD. It's the size he brings inside. 
like for an era where everyone's talking about how it's all gone small, the most dominant team had a six foot nine point guard and a you know a seven foot unit in the paint. Is isn't this the uh, the Joe Holbert prediction of the next stage of basketball though? With you know because you mentioned AD, I, th- I think it was you when we were talking about small ball went on to say the next level is going to be the tall guys who are the vers- who are versatile enough to play multiple positions, which is exactly what AD is. Yeah, I think I think size will always win out. Like that's why I can't play basketball because I'm only five foot eight. Like ultimately, you know, you, you don't need to be tall to be a good player, but I mean, it helps. It shortens your learning curve, and with the with the size the Lakers could throw out, and you know, but the thing is, AD is a rare talent in terms of his perimeter game on both sides of the ball. So I I believe I did always say on the Double Clutch podcast that you know the next great team after the Dubs was going to be a team with size that didn't sacrifice the perimeter game. There, there is a fantastic old coaching adage, which is you can't teach height. Um, yeah. Is that fair, Nick? That you can't teach height? I, I've heard... Well, just in general, <laughs> that they, these late... Well, you can't... You obviously... Uh, that is fair. Yeah, I, that is fair. I will give the uh, teachers that, <laughs> that you cannot teach that. Um, is, it, is it fair then about the, the Lakers? Are they... Are they they uh, they back more dom. Well, I say back. The reigning champions have somehow got stronger. You see them being the team to beat this season. Yeah, they're they're deeper in quality and they are more versatile. I think really the only way they were able to kind of diversify what they were throwing out there last year was really because McGee and Dwight Howard in slightly different ways were kind of giving them the same thing overall. And so really the only way they were able to mix things up was play AD at the five and go a bit smaller, but they're still big. Um, So really it was only whether they were playing a traditional big or not was how they mixed it up. Whereas now, uh, Joe didn't even mention Marc Gasol in that. Um, So they've got so many different looks now, whether they have Schroeder on, whether AD plays the five, if they haven't the old school playmaking big in Gasol, who's like can still play defense. You've got the role man in Montrose Harrell. You've got so many options. And with the kind of basketball brain we've seen LeBron have, uh, um, I'm really interested to see what they look like on the offensive end. Um, And yeah, they kind of... uh, we we also haven't talked about they've still got Yanis's brother so <laughs> moving into we next have got summer a question potentially about that later on uh, which we which we will get to um, so obviously they've improved the roster from last year and you mentioned how, how sort of how dominant they they've been are we are we I hate to pull like the health card but you, you've mentioned Mark Gasol who's who's essentially not been healthy for the last two seasons um, perhaps even longer. AD always has some sort of injury. We're in a truncated season with a, a shortened off season as well. What sort of... They've obviously inc- increased the gap between them and their next biggest rivals, wherever you want to put them in the league. But how confident are you that this team can stay... And, and there's always luck involved in staying healthy, but with the guys they've got on that roster, how confident are you that they can keep everyone on the floor long enough to actually come through this at the end i think they will manage themselves incredibly carefully we already saw statements uh from lebron saying how much rest he was going to take i think if i remember correctly it was actually something about essentially taking the first half of the season off basically where he'd just kind of run out there and knowing lebron has still scored 25 and 5 or something um but I think AD won't play back-to-backs because he's had his health issues. I just think they 
won't really care what playoff seed they are and they'll be they'll go into the playoffs and they'll probably still be one of the top seeds without kind of going out of their way to do it but they'll do everything they can to be healthy come playoff time because that's how that team will be measured not by any other way joe um the lakers have obviously had a huge amount or i say they've had some significantly great duos in history where do you see the AD LeBron James partnership finishing in terms of ranking them against, you know, Shaq and Kobe, Magic Kareem, uh, even let's say Elgin Baylor and Jerry West? I don't think it could be better than Magic and Kareem myself. Cause like maybe I'm being harsh here on AD, but like he's a great player, but I am being harsh, but I'm going to continue with what I'm saying. But, I won't remember AD as one of the great bigs. I won't have him in the Hakeem, Kareem, Shaq tier, which is not an insult. You know, those three guys. And the game's different as well for a big. I don't think we're ever going to see a big like Hakeem who you gave the ball to 50 times a game. It's just not the way it's going to happen anymore. But I'll have him more in that sort of David Robinson tier, which is still a very good player. So for me, like the duo's great and LeBron obviously lifts it but i would still i don't know they'd probably have to win two more championships for me to put it alongside or even above kobe's Shaq and magic and kareem because i just think for the era they had magic and kareem and you had a six foot nine point guard who no one else could defend and kareem had a move that still i don't believe anyone knows how to stop the skyhook I don't know. I think I've seen one photo of someone blocking it, and that's about the only time it ever happened. Yeah. I'm trying to think who it was now, but yeah, that doesn't matter. Uh, but yeah, like it's the most unstoppable shot in NBA history. Um, let's let's give some credit to the Lakers as well here. They've managed to do this in a way where they're not hamstrung for forever. They they've obviously the extension for LeBron is is two years on top of this this year of his contract so the next three years he's locked up for till 2023 uh ad has been locked up for five years and i believe that in the summer of 2023 he's the only current laker under contract so if they need to uh pivot in another direction at some point if it's 2023 they're going to have enough room for for at least another max player it's kind of they, they've they've managed to balance the present and the future um which is quite surprising giving most people will go, you know, all the chips in on winning now and sacrifice the, the future flexibility. Should we give them credit for that? Yeah, I think so. I think they've been quite smart with with the way they've um, built the roster. And I think something else that's underrated, more contenders should do this. They buy low on players. The Rockets did this when they were really good. They bought low on Luke Mabamute. They certainly bought low on Jeff Green. I know they didn't win anything last year, but Jeff Green was excellent. He's the type of buy-low flyer that you take a chance on. With Harrell, Harrell's the ultimate buy-low because he was not good in the playoffs. And he, should we just say, I think he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way when with that clip of him laughing at Michael Kidd-Gilchrist's jump shot, which is not a great look when you're playing the way he was. So I just think that's what the Lakers are going to continue to do. And I think when you buy-low on players like they are, it gives you that flexibility because they're not going, oh, we need to add a third star. They're going, well, actually, we've got two top five players, so let's buy low on players that we think can make an impact. Maybe not as the third best player on the team, but as kind of like the fourth best player on a championship team. And I think they've got multiple guys who fit that bill. 
KCP, Dennis Schroeder, Montrose Harrell, Mark Gasol. None of them, for me, are number three options. But if you've got multiple number fours, that's great from your team building. And that's why they have that future flexibility because they're not going over the odds to go, oh, we need a big three. They've not done it like that. They've been smart and they've been composed uh, throughout the process. I think uh, I completely agree with um, Joe's really good point there on on the Lakers buying low. And I, the other thing I'd say about it is um, if we take uh, and say it quietly, Dwight Howard, and they actually got a real contribution out of him. To me, it speaks to the LeBron James effect in that they're able to buy low on certain players who other teams won't touch, like uh, Dwight last summer, for example, because of the respect LeBron demands, where those types of players, Dion Waiters, say, or a JR mm-hmm. Smith or someone like that, they don't cause the same issues that they we see on other teams because you can't get away with it on a LeBron team. So just by being there, they're kind of his presence actually allows them to pick up these guys that other teams aren't able to or don't want to. No, I think that's a fair point. I mean, Dion Waiters and J.R. Smith basically can only earn money now playing next to LeBron because, yeah. Um, but let's move on to, well, it wouldn't be a, a Joe Holbrook guest special if we didn't talk about his Timberwolves. Uh, so let's move on to the team that finished 14th in the Western Conference last season. They've obviously got big expectations this year with a, with a full season of D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns paired together. They've added on to the end Anthony Edwards, the number one pick. They've also brought back the Spanish wizard, Ricky Rubio. Um, But the West has got even tougher if that was possible this year. And there are 14 teams basically clambering for those eight playoff spots and the the 10 seedings to get you within a shot of the playoffs. Um, Joe, what are your expectations for the Wizards? uh, The Wizards? I've gone Spanish wizard and now I'm stuck in Wizards. There's too much wall and Wizards going on tonight. What are your expectations for the Minnesota Timberwolves this season? Um, I think the minimum expectation, health permitted, has to be close to the playoffs. That you can't have another developmental year anymore because you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who I have in the top twenty players in the league. Um, when people do their rankings, there's a lot of recency bias in there. I think if you're taking a player pound for pound, as they say in boxing, he's top twenty or not far off. You go for D'Angelo Russell, who, well, he's flawed. He's still the type of guard scorer this team hasn't had since Sam Cassell, which was a long time ago. Um, so the, the expectations are big. Certainly for me on the offense side of the ball, this should be a top five offense. I'm not saying it will be, but that's, that should be the minimum expectation because you've got Cat who brings the spacing. D'Lo can run an offense. Now, Delo's issue is that he's got no burst, so he can't get to the rim, but he's good enough for mid-range and kind of setting up perimeter passes for that not to be a problem. But this is where Anthony Edwards comes in and why I wanted him at number one. The final piece we needed for the offense was a one-on-one scorer. Now, the Wiggins comps are lazy. Um, I can tell you Edwards is a much more destructive athlete than Wiggins ever was, but he doesn't. He leverages it, but I don't think he relies on it, whereas Wiggins... He relied on just being bigger and stronger than everyone else when he was at Kansas. And when he came into the NBA, that's why he's inconsistent because on a night where he's not against a good athlete, he can go for 30 because he's just going to power to the rim. But when you put him against a better defender, he can't do that. And that's why you have 31 nights, 12 the next night. But Edwards, 
He needs to improve on defense. We need to see what the shot's going to be like, but he's come out of college bigger than we expected. So I think there's going to be, this should be a top five offense. It's got all the pieces. We've got shooting with Malik Beasley and the key. Man who puts it all together, the glue guy, if you like, is Ricky Rubio. Excellent playmaker, underrated spot up shooter. Uh, I think this should be pushing the playoffs. The issue is, um, in the West, the only team I'm fully ruling out for next year is the Thunder. I'm not even going to rule out the Kings because if if you know if Bagley can show something and then you've got Alvin Gentry running the offense, they might do something. If we were in the East, I think we'd be a playoff team comfortably, easily. You know, six or seven seed, but the West is just brutal. And you've still got the Spurs. I'm not ruling out Greg Popovich. You've got the Pelicans. You've got the Warriors, who you would imagine are going to be back in there. It's just, it's not a nice conference to be in. I wish we could move to the East. <laughs> just abolish the conferences. I said it time and time again. Um, Nick, how do you see the Timberwolves faring this season? Is is that realistic to be in within a shout of a playoff spot? I think uh, I think I I do agree, and I'm really excited to see how that guard rotation looks and how um, ball handling and playmaking are shared. Because I think D'Angelo Russell can be quite fun to watch uh, when he's let loose. He he kind of is a bit of a I think of him as a, like a bit of a poor man's James Harden in that he. Um, he, he likes to shoot the step back. Uh, he doesn't get to the rim as well as Harden does, obviously, but he's always looking for that shot and defences kind of almost have to overplay him um, because he, he's going to shoot that so many times. Um, but I think there's a there's a hard ceiling on an offence where that's the main weapon um, as to its effectiveness, as we kind of saw w- when he was doing that with the Nets. Um, but... Uh, as Joe was saying, with Rubio at the helm, they actually have a real uh, solid playmaker there who can find Cat and the shooters and um, everyone else who's uh, going to get offense going, Anthony Edwards. Um, but you still have that option to kind of go pick and roll with Russell and uh, sit uh, and kind of uh, let loose with that. Cat, I think... Um, I think Joe alluded to it a little bit, didn't didn't go into much depth there. I think just because the Wolves haven't been winning, he gets some unfair criticism. He's an outstanding player. We were talking about um, like AD in this way a bit earlier in terms of like guys who uh, are tall but don't compromise um, perimeter skills. Um, And there's a few in the league now when you think of like the likes of Duran or uh, Cat or AD or uh, Porzingis is a little bit more of a big, but all of these, uh, Yanis obviously. Um, But yeah, he's an outstanding talent in the NBA. Um, And when you put all this together, there's only... I think the Timberwolves are running out of excuses if they don't threaten for the playoffs this season because they've got the personnel. Yeah, they're trending in the right direction. The issue for me is every team bar two have trended the same direction as well. And relatively, I don't think they're making up enough ground. to. to... It's like Joe says, if they're in the East, playoff team, but they're not. And this this West is an absolute dogfight through to top 13 seeds basically like that that we saw how tight the run was in the bubble for the eighth seed there are a number of teams that could have made that i think we're going to get the same thing over and over again and i'm just not convinced that yeah they've got the personnel that improves them but i'm not convinced they've got the personnel that can pull it together in crunch time and win one of you know get win two 
you know, playing games if they make it that far. It's just, I, d- I don't know. I just don't, I don't see them having enough talent still, even though they have got better and continue to have some fantastic talent, if that makes sense. That sounds like an ultimate hedge. I'm not trying to hedge at all. I'm trying to, without disrespecting them, say I don't think they're going to be there. How many games do you think they improved by, Mike? Because it's one of those uh, things where I, I do agree with you. You look down the list of Western teams and it looks like almost everyone has improved, but obviously not all the numbers of wins can go up. No. So they won 19 last year. That was 11 behind the next. I'm, I am looking at this. That's where you can see my head moving because there's no way I'm recording. I'm not Rain Man. Um, <laughs> do, I don't think there's 11 wins there. Rubio on his own is not eleven wins. Anthony Anthony Edwards isn't eleven wins. Am I am I am I being too hard? I, I, you know, if I'm wrong, I don't you know I don't care. Ultimately, who's going to remember this next year? But I I just don't think they have the capacity to pull themselves. Like, let's let's go up to and admit, and again, it's the truncated season, so we don't really. Maybe that's what I'm looking at. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Hold on a sec. Nineteen and forty-five. See, that's the other thing as well. They're eleven games back, but they didn't play half the season. Mm. So I can't even do it that way. <laughs> so that maths is flawed. I think last Brilliant. year, like Cat and Dilo only played one game together. So I think if someone was to mm-hmm. bank on the Timbers making the playoffs, so the one game we lost to the Raptors, but we were in that game for most of the time. And bear in mind how good the Raptors are defensively. We think we put up about 130, 140 on them. Uh, it went quite deep and it's one game. I'm not going to sit here and say we're going to put up 140 every night because of that one game against Toronto who probably underestimated us. Um, the the issue of projecting the walls is, it's like, I don't know what the floor is. I think the ceiling, the ceiling for this team is a dangerous team because of Cat. Cat puts you, I mean, he he makes Rudy Gobert look like a backup whenever we play the Jazz. Like, he literally destroys him and he destroys... He destroys everything the Jazz do on the defensive end. There's not many centers who want to be out on the three-point line. And he's good enough in the post to the point that you can't really put a four on him because he will cook them. Um, I, I, I just think, you know, so Utah, I, when people make their playoff predictions, I think people are going to leave Utah off and they shouldn't because I think there's something underrated about continuity continuity as they call it so like utah has a high floor i don't think they have a high ceiling i don't think that team can go and win multiple playoff series but we know what we're going to get with the timberwolves you don't know what we're going to get we could be awful again because the the team's weirdly constructed we don't have a recognized power forward outside of juan hernan gomez so we're gonna have to play small a lot and cat has his defensive struggles he's had his um He's had a bad year as well. And, you know, some of the interviews I've seen mm. with him, but yeah, he talks about how basketball isn't a cure and stuff like that. I don't know how much he wants to play right now. That's my take on it. And he's, yeah. he didn't just lose his mum. He lost six other relatives. So he's lost seven relatives this year, which is absolutely, that's more than I've lost in my lifetime. And I'm 25. So that's happening. Terrific. So that's happening is. one year. It's- so there's just so many factors that make it difficult. I won't have the Timberwolves in the playoffs in my prediction. I just think it's hard to justify. But I also wouldn't group them with teams that have no chance. Like for me, the Thunder have no chance. If someone's putting the Thunder in their playoffs, I'm thinking, well, you must know something I don't. The Timberwolves, they got a chance, but 
there's just so many factors and it's just it's easy to leave them off you're not going to feel bad about it if you leave them off no, I think that's fair. Um, let, let's move on before we uh, run out of time. Um, new season tips in two weeks' time, just over two weeks' time, on the 22nd of December, uh, a 72-game truncated season. They've announced the first half of the schedule where teams will play either 37 or 38 games, and then they will announce later on in the, in the first half of the season the second half of the season's fixtures, which will essentially be everything else plus any games that need to be caught up due to any covid issues and we're sort of gonna, we're going to get into the i say we're going to get into the, the league is going to quickly find itself getting into the logistical nightmare that's going to be coordinating an nba season during this pandemic not within a bubble and whilst they're still awaiting the uh the vaccination to be approved um we've had three teams at least off the top of my head warriors blazers uh, and the Raptors today, who have had to close their facilities due to players testing positive. When, just before the bubble started, if you recall, we did see this sort of thing happen as well. Now, though, with two weeks till the season starts, are you worried that we're going to immediately see the impact of, of COVID on available players and on a team's chances this season? How how likely is it that, you know, how quickly do you think we're going to sort of see someone missing a game because they've tested positive for COVID, Nick? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to work out what my opinion on this is. I think it's unavoidable that we will get through um, without some um, not- notable cases. It, it's not just going to be the odd player missing here or there. Um, it seems inevitable just because of... Um, you think of the scale of the United States and all of these teams uh, traveling across to play each other constantly. Um, it's, it just seems inevitable that if, and if one player catches it, they're in close proximity to a number of other players. So it seems unavoidable that there'll need to be some rescheduling. But the other thing we can't quite account for, and um, maybe you guys know more than I do. And so like in the UK, for example, we're just starting to roll out our vaccine here. I'm not sure of the um, scheduling in the US um, for vaccine and what their expected timescales are. And obviously, NBA players will not be in the at-risk groups that are prioritised. But on that topic, money also talks. So it also wouldn't surprise me if NBA players were vaccinated way before they philosophically should be but we'll see mm-hmm. private healthcare isn't mm. it private system so yeah as far as i'm aware the fda hasn't approved any vaccine yet um so i guess it's a, a waiting game but joe how, how big an impact i mean obviously the season's already shorter it's starting at a different time it's finishing at a different time how big of an impact do you see covid having this season yeah i think in regards to the vaccination i think don't know if anyone remembers at the start, but obviously at the start of the pandemic, testing wasn't widely available. I know mm-hmm. my dad had it, well, likely had it in March, but there was no test available. But the NBA still managed to get some for the players. So obviously with the infamous Rudy Gobert incident, they had tests for every single player and staff who were there. I think the same will happen with the vaccine. Though, like, you know, NBA players are not, probably not in the top 50 groups of people who should get it first. They will, because unfortunately... It's more so in the United States than here. Money does talk. So I would imagine that the NBA or even, you know, the teams are mostly owned by billionaires. They will buy doses however they can. My worry is 
if the vaccination isn't quick. The, the thing is, there are a lot of different, you know, not to go into a virology podcast, but there are a lot of different ones available. So that should speed up the process. But if players aren't vaccinated, I actually think COVID could be quite devastating because obviously the, the spread in America is pretty ludicrous at the moment. Now, we've had problems in the NFL, but the difference is the NFL, you've got something called a bye week, which is basically a week off. We'll call it a week off, week mm-hmm. of holiday um, and recovery. So if a team, let's say in week four, a team didn't have their game, they would just go, right, that's your bye week. You'll play the game you were meant to play in this week in the week that was meant to be your bye week. The problem with the NBA is you play in clusters and you play multiple games a week. So it's not as easy as going, oh, you can just play in four weeks. You know, that that's my worry with this. We've got no bubble. Um, I don't know how the scheduling has worked. I don't know if they've made it more regional, but either way, you know, regional in the UK would work because you know, I'm in Bristol. We'd play in Bath and and Cardiff. Well, America's gigantic. You know, you can have five you can have five hours from one place in the state to the city in the same state. So I've got I've got concerns to be quite to be quite honest with you. I think logistically it could be a nightmare. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, in the chat, OKC UK uh, have confirmed Thunder have got two confirmed cases as well. So it's not just the three teams I was able to remember. There are other teams out there reporting positive tests. And I think we're probably going to see more as more and more players get back to training camp. Uh, let's move on to something uh, far less negative and, and, and down uh, and quite silly in nature. Uh, Nick, do you want to lead your segment? Of course, I do resent this not being billed as a serious segment, though, Mike. This is serious <laughs> business right here. This is. This is definitely. Even says so in the title. Okay. For current and former players whose name is also a profession, which do you believe would actually be the best at that profession? And I've got a couple of examples here to explain what I mean by this. How would Jimmy do as a butler? Would Harold be productive as an actual miner? Throwing it out to you guys, what do you think? See, I think Jimmy would be terrible as a butler. Okay. I don't think he's got the patience no, to serve someone. He'd be the swaggiest he's a team butler player. ever, though. <laughs> Sweatiest butler. Um, and Harold Miner, like, I know that he wasn't the tallest NBA player, but he was still, like, what, 6'4? So there's no way he's fitting down a mine shaft. So I think he'd be terrible as well. Um, I'm surprised you didn't pull up the, the classic Nick Nurse, who I also think would be terrible. Oh, I've got a whole uh, list. Don't worry. Oh, you've got a whole list? Oh, yeah. Okay. You want to hear some others? Yeah, go for it. Ish Smith as an actual blacksmith. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Drew Holiday and brothers as holiday reps. So you like turn up in Ibiza or wherever, and it's the Holiday Brothers. I wouldn't mind that. I think they'd be... Yeah, no, I'd, 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 yeah, I think that would be quite good. Give uh, Rodney Hood some merry men, put him in green, and away <laughs> he goes. Oh, this... Rodney Hood, Prince of Threes. <laughs> yeah. This is a good one. Kevin Herter as a hitman. Just a professional wow. Herter. He's not intimidating enough for that. <laughs> yeah. Reggie Jackson as a Michael Jackson tribute act. Oh, okay. That's that's more lateral than I, I'd gone with it. This was a personal favourite. The Morris Brothers as Morris Dancers. <laughs> <laughs> Merlin's Noel as a Christmas party planner. I'm going to speed this up. Uh, Derek Rose as a florist. 
uh, Garrett Temple as a London tour guide starting from Temple Tube Station. <laughs> Carl Anthony Town Planner. Uh, Denzel Valentine with a lucrative uh, card f- uh, company. Uh, PJ Washington for president. And uh, James Wiseman gets to visit the uh, baby Jesus about this time of year. So, yeah, those are what I came up with. That, that's good. Uh, we've had some come up in the chat as well. Uh, so, uh, Captain Kirk, oh, he's, he's doing everything at once. <laughs> John would be a great wall. Um, flying Tortoise. Reggie would be a good Miller. Uh, R- Rich Barrett. Taco is a fall guy. And uh, also, with Kemba's knees, he may only be a walker. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite good. Uh, Would Devon be good in a bookshop from Flying Tours as well? See, I went went obscure, as I tend to with this one, and I've gone with um, Pops Mensa Bonsu, which, if you take his full name, it translates essentially to King Whale Killer. Oh, wow. So I was just like... That, that's just an incredible name, so I'm, I'm, I'll take that. Plus, it's a GB tie, so I'm always up for getting that in. Because uh, apparently, if you if you if you hear his story, um, one of his ancestors allegedly killed a whale, so that's why they called them Bonsu. Was his ancestor uh, which is, Captain Ahab? <laughs> he might well have been. <laughs> but yeah, um, any any more to add to that at all? You got any, Joe? Yeah, I think Corey Brewer would make a good IPA. Nice. Oh yes, nice. yeah. And Chris Weber would make some good cloths and rugs. I had to get Chris. I had to get Chris <laughs> Weber in there. If you want obligatory. If you want a weird one, Lade Divac would make a terrible diva because he's seven foot two and built <laughs> like a brick shit house. So those are my three. <laughs> that's brilliant. No, excellent. Um, that's fantastic. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, we have a Discord. If you're not already over there, a Discord server, get over there. It is uh, discord.me forward slash double clutch. There's about 120 members in there. We've had some really funny conversations this week, much like that one, uh, but where we've riffed off players' names for food and uh, kitchen puns. There's been a lot of free agency chat still and some fantasy league chat. Um, we have some listener questions left to hit. Uh, Tommy Jr., What's the likelihood of the Ball brothers getting onto the same team and would we like to see it? I think it's unlikely, in my opinion, because I can't see... What's the what's the one who's just signed the uh, the contract with Detroit? Uh, that's Lee Angelo. Yeah, he's, um, he's, yeah. he's not um, an NBA-level player. I think that's a public... Exactly, so to get them all on the same team would be stupid. Um, not stupid, but it would be a waste of, of a contract. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling it. Shooting um, is not their about- strong point either, so it's not like they'd even really complement each other particularly well. We might see them in thirty years' time, twenty years' time in in the big three. Yeah, that would be nice. Joe, would you like to see the Ball Brothers on the same NBA roster? Um, you know, what? I don't hate Monzo on the Hornets. Actually, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. It'd be better than Terry Rozier. You know, that's a low bar, that's a low bar, but uh, yeah, yeah, the Hornets should make that happen. There you go. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Richard Fang 8, uh, who's a massive Bucks fan. So I would like to know the podcast's thoughts on Yanis's situation. Seen as the arguably the two front runners, LA and Miami, are pretty unlikely to be able to sign him next year. Are the chances of signing the Max at the Bucks very likely now? I'll come to Joe first. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I think he's gone. 
Because here's the thing, right? He wanted, he didn't even want a star. He wanted Bogdan Bogdanovich. Now, I'm a fan of his. His jersey is hang up somewhere on my rack next to me. He wanted Bogdan Bogdanovich. And they did a sign and trade without the sign. So they just did an and trade, basically. <laughs> um, like, if you... If you're if you're a franchise player, generational talent asks for Bogdan Bogdanovich, who was a restricted free agent. It's not like they even had to go and um it's not like they were had to tap him up or tamper him or anything. He's a restricted free agent. And the Kings were never gonna match his contract because they would because they've got healed on a big contract, they've just maxed uh De'Aaron Fox. They couldn't even get Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh the GM should have lost his job for that. I think he's nailed on to go to Dallas. Uh, personally okay Nick yeah I think um, it's a difficult one I think because uh, we we talked a little bit about um, Bogdanovich last week on here uh, and I was agreeing with what Joe was saying and I think if Yanis wanted to stay there's a strong chance they would have made something happen already. Um, But I also kind of think I'm looking around and I'm trying to work out exactly where it would work. Um, And maybe it's Dallas, like Joe was saying, but I think even Yanis probably doesn't know for sure. Um, I think he's deliberately doing a bit of a LeBron, keeping the Bucks on edge, trying to make them um, get better. And he won't rule out anything until he sees how the cards fall when he has to make that decision. Yeah, so he's got um, two weeks today. Uh, so this, today's Monday the 7th. So he's got until the 21st to sign his max extension offer. Otherwise, he will become a free agent next summer. Um I'm not even convinced LA and Miami are out of the running because although they've tied up the money in in, uh, in in their existing players that they've got, what we're what I think is becoming a trend, and albeit a trend in a very elite group of players, is renegotiating deals during it. We've just seen LeBron, who had this, he's got this year left on his contract, and had a player option next year, renegotiate for next year and the year after. We've seen James Harden, not this off-season, but the past three, two or three off-seasons has has renegotiated his contract. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, say the stars aligned and Yanis calls up Rob Palinka and is like, okay, I'm ready, what are you going to do? I wouldn't be surprised if if LeBron and AD renegotiate deals to create that cap flexibility. I would be very surprised if he went to LA because from what we've seen so far about Yanis is he's quite old school in that he doesn't seem to, at least, want to team up with LeBron. He wants to beat LeBron. He wants to take hmm. the crown. He wants to be the best player in the NBA and win a championship that way. And if he went to LA, you'd have the Durant in Golden State effect where even if they won multiple championships, he would only get sort of proportional credit for it. So I'd be surprised if he went to LA. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that it's LA he goes to. I'm just suggesting that you can't you can't even rule out LA and Miami because I think the the cap gymnastics is is doable. Um, if, if he went to Dallas, that would be just an incredible lineup. That would be sc- well anywhere he goes. Basically, is going to be scary. Uh, but I think that every that every day that passes and he hasn't signed it, by confidence in him re-signing would start to to ebb significantly. Um, and then also from Richard Fang, uh, 
wanted to know your opinions on the Christmas Day games. Uh, which ones are you most looking forward to? So we've got uh, Pelicans at Miami. That will be 12 p.m. Eastern time. So what's that? 5 p.m. our time. Uh, 2.30 p.m. Eastern time, you've got Golden State at Milwaukee. Then you've got the Nets at the Celtics. You've got the Mavericks at the Lakers. And you've got the Clippers at the Nuggets, which will be the horrifically late. Everyone's passed out. I'm just sat here shaking from too much eggnog game. Um, any particular one that stands out to you guys? Uh, the first one, I think. You know, I think I tweeted about this, but like, I don't know why everyone was moaning that we get the Pels on Christmas Day. Like, watching Zion is not a hardship. Zion against Bam, from a, I mean, I'm a nerd, so from a nerd perspective, like, that's a great matchup to look forward to. Uh, the only one I'm not really that bothered by is the, is the uh, Clippers Nuggets. I don't really enjoy watching the Clippers. Um, but yeah, the re- they're, they're good matchups. I think they're borderline perfect matchups. Yeah. Should all be fun. I think uh, because I like uh, drama and intrigue, I'm going for Kyrie returning to Boston because um, I think there's uh, some bad blood there. Um, but also the game after with um, LeBron versus Luca. I think um, I like it when you get those kind of one-on-one matchups um between top level guys so yeah but yeah as joe said all of them look pretty good yep that dallas and la stand out for me there's some classic matchups between lebron and, and luca last season uh lebron's got the utmost respect for him you know wanted to sign him to team lebron if he could have got that thing off the ground uh luca's idolized him that's a great one. Oh, uh, and to be honest i i have no issue with pelicans and heat like it might not be the biggest of those games but it's a 5 p.m. tip-off. That works for me. I'll take that every day of the week. Um, cool. I think that's all the questions we've had through that. Um, so that's it from us tonight. Thank you to everyone for dropping in. Thank you to, for all the follows. Um, we've had a load of uh, new content come out recently. Most recent one being Charlie Liptrot, Sam Presti, and the risks of asset accumulation. Uh, we've also got a couple more in the line uh, coming out. Paul Keddy, the return of Maury Ball, and the latest in the step back series from Sean Guest will be about the failed CP3 to LA trade uh, from, from way back. Uh, thanks, David Stern, for that one. Um, let's have a quick look here. On Discord, we have a new follower, As Asman. Looks looks as though you might be able to mispronounce that. Um, Joe, where can people find you if they can't read the screen that has your handle on it beneath your head? <laughs> yeah, so my work um, is at Joe Holbert, MBA, H-U-L-B-E-R-T. Uh, for this year, I'll be covering the Mavericks. That's my main beat. But now and again, I'll, um, I'll look at Timberwolves and Hawks as well. But I tweet out a lot of um, mainly offensive clips. That's my strength. So X's and O's and player analysis. Awesome. Yeah, people should definitely follow you and and check out your work. It is excellent stuff. Uh, Thank you to everyone for watching. Thank you to everyone for for chatting in the chat and throwing questions at us in there as well. Uh, We will be back next week when we are just one week away from the NBA season. So we'll see you again soon. Wait a minute. Who are you?